Now is the time to tell tales of the unaccountable. Sandy, what do you fear? What do you fear? Consider you find someone mummified. I already like this story. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We just need you to hunt the giant owl. He just looks too suave to be Dracula. <laughs> too suave to be Dracula. Remember, you are bringing her back to life, so there is that. You got that to pony up on. Be afraid. Be marginally afraid. Ogan Pulp Nightmare, I'm Mike. I am Emby. And I am Hero. Documentaries, Hero. Documentaries. We all watch them. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> we all went for the same joke at the same time, and he was just quicker on the draw. <laughs> he's always quicker on the draw. It's like fucking Jeopardy. Yeah. He hit the button first. <laughs> what is below the Bible Belt reference? Uh, so subscribe to us on iTunes. Oh, yeah. By the way, now I'm just imagining MB as uh, the brain when he was on Jeopardy in that robot body with the tiny head. <laughs> just imagining him answering all the questions as, what is Batman? <laughs> his, it doesn't even say MB on his name card. It, it's just the Batman symbol. He That's my name. <laughs> I started to name, speak. I thought his name was MB. That's my slave name. <laughs> You're like Prince. You change it to a symbol. I want somebody to change their name to the Batman symbol. MB, do that. Who says I haven't tried to do that already? Hero will pay for it. I want that to be a court case that's broadcast on CNN. <laughs> um, anyway, documentaries. <laughs> yeah. I'm just imagining, like, you turn on CNN and all it says is Batman, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> There's an interview with Adam West. They want him to weigh in on it. Like I, well, if the young man wants to change his name to my beloved Sigil, I don't see why <laughs> not. I frankly, I think you should leave him alone. He just stands up enraged. <laughs> He's wearing a suit and tie, but he's still wearing the Batman mask. I imagine, I imagine they're interviewing him at his door. He's in a robe. <laughs> Again, in the Batman mask. <laughs> it's quite early, so I think you should get off my property. Patricia, get me my gun. He starts Bert. chasing the, the reporters across his lawn, firing a shotgun. <laughs> he's intent on murdering them. <laughs> I've had it up to here with you, bloodsuckers. The entire case switches from MB trying to change his name to Adam West committing murder. <laughs> In the name of MB. Cooper. <laughs> on the front of his front lawn. MB's blamed for it. <laughs> He's on the cover of Time magazine. Oh my MB, god. Bad influence. And <laughs> turned Batman into a murderer. <laughs> He's completely distraught over it. It's his Kobayashi Maru. <laughs> He'll come up to MB's private estate wanting a comment. It's a box. It's like Arseface at the end of Preacher. It's like I just had this horrified expression on all the news networks. Has MB gone too far? <laughs> I just imagine 
<laughs> and then Wes is on trial for murder. Suddenly the doors bust open. It's MB. He's dripping wet for some reason. <laughs> I am sunny <laughs> outside. <laughs> you tell a harrowing story about how you were trapped under your Batman comics in your mother's basement. It has nothing to do with the murder case at all. You survived on her delicious preserves and freed yourself using a bottle rocket and an old vacuum. MB, this is something I must face alone. <laughs> Mr. West, hear me out. Go, my son. <laughs> well, oh, he gets the, the death penalty. He's in the gas chamber. He no, 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 his- no, no, no. What happens is that Adam West is like he's getting his sentencing, and then all of a sudden someone in the jury stands up and takes out a gun and fires. <laughs> Adam West gets shot in the chest. And the, the perpetrator pulls off a hat and it's Burt Ward. <laughs> He's had a lifelong grudge against him. I run I up should have been the one on the mask. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to get up. away, but he's too short and fat. Fat goo. Anyway. <laughs> um, but the joke, just for a sec, the joke I was going to go for was... He's in the gas chamber. He puts his hand up against the glass looking at MB and says, You will always and forever be I chum. <laughs> he makes the Batman signal with his hand and slides off. Of all the comic book superheroes I've inhabited, I encounter Batman was the most human. I'm in a red uniform for some reason. <laughs> Bones is there. It's the most beautiful thing ever. <laughs> Adam West is sent beyond a planet. <laughs> In a tube. Into the stars. You create the new Adam West in an MB3, The Search for West. There's Teenage West. <laughs> the Genesis planet. He has to discover what sex is. Goes through puberty. What were we talking about? <laughs> How did we get there? How did we get to Adam West on a murder trial and execute it? Because, because MB said documentaries first. <laughs> Just brought this on yourself. <laughs> Once again, it's my doing. Once again, MB wins, son of a bitch. Fair edition. <laughs> It's a bad influence. Let's not just imagine kids becoming a fan of you. <laughs> I think he's hot. <laughs> they have MB tattoos. A girl has MB written on her boobs. <laughs> they start having massive MB burnings in town halls. This burning a 10-page story you wrote when you were a kid. <laughs> they burn every existing copy of Batman War on Grime. Wow. For the for the full backstory on Batman War War on Crime, check out Dork Knights. Dork Knights. Also available on iTunes. <laughs> wow, that was a comic book movie fucking asterisk. <sighs> I'm out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get at all the podcasts eventually. <laughs> Off um, Documentaries, heroes. <laughs> Yeah. We all watch them. So, Hero watched a documentary last night that I've been pestering him to watch for yeah. quite a while. 
Well, I've been on a weird documentary kick the past couple of days. I have no idea why. You really have. I think it's because the other night, for no particular reason, I got the impulse to watch Slacker again. And Slacker is not a documentary, but it feels like it. So that inexplicably put me in a, in a documentary mood. I've been trying to find a documentary to watch lately, when I hadn't heard of before. You still need to watch After Porn Ends. I do. I do. It's the humanity in that movie. I also need to rewatch King of Kong. We need to do commentary on King of Kong. We do. That's... Why aren't we doing that right now? This podcast I don't know. is over. We should do that. We know you're, you're hearing planning right now. We should do that soon. I've never Behind the curtain at Pulp Nightmare Industries. Oh, MB, King of Kong is the greatest movie ever made. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard good things. And Billy Mitchell is just a Will Ferrell character brought to life. It's He is unintentionally the greatest film villain of all time. He's the Jay Leno of video games. <laughs> he really is. The thing that fascinates me about King of Kong is that wherever these guys go, it's the 80s. <laughs> You've said that so many times over the years, too. It's like your official blurb for that movie. <laughs> Wherever they go, it just becomes the 80s, Mike Napier. <laughs> it really is. It's fucked up. It's just suddenly the 80s around them. It's so strange. I just love how in that movie, it's treated like arcade games are the most important thing in the world. <laughs> and they have such gravitas to them. It's like those weird animes where it's like about tennis or something, and the entire world revolves around tennis. Yeah. The fate of nations is decided by a tennis game. I guess that, but it's an actual movie. Like, this shit happened. And the rules they go into. I like that we haven't even gotten to the subject of the the podcast yet, and we're talking about, I can't believe this movie was made. <laughs> where people play arcade games. There's gonna there, listen. Stay tuned for the end of the episode. There's gonna be a kill screen. Chris Hardwick shows up. One of my kill favorite things about and about Wreck It Ralph is the end. Very end of the credits. There's a fucking Disney kill screen. <laughs> Greatest thing ever. Anyway, so Hero watched this documentary last night um, called The Imposter. Now there are gonna be spoilers for it, but. And Mike and Hero have both seen this, and I haven't. Yeah, so we're going to spoil the fuck out of it for MB. Yeah, but we get to hear MB's reaction to things that happened in it. We're solely doing this because he said documentaries first. He brought this on himself. You're like the Hitler of this podcast, MB. <laughs> MB, bad influence? <laughs> you must be stopped. We are 90... <laughs> he turns the shotgun on me. <laughs> Oh, this is this is West after he comes back as a cyborg from the future. <laughs> Alright, just think of us as nineties ghost rider and this is your penance stare. <laughs> MB you spilled blood of the innocence, <laughs> I'm trying to say. <laughs> By making that joke before Hero could. Uh, anyway. The imposter. Yes, thirteen minutes into the episode, the imposter. <laughs> uh Hero, do you want to um like what would you? How would you describe the documentary? Like on a technical basis or plot wise? Uh, plot wise. <laughs> okay, it's. <laughs> I'm I'm looking at the Wikipedia synopsis for this, and I'm still at a loss to describe. <laughs> okay, so the first scene is about 
a disappearance of a 13-year-old boy in a small Texas town. Nicholas Barclay. Nicholas Barclay. Disappeared in 1994 at the age of 13. A lot of people actually are uh, familiar with this case, so, yeah. Yeah, and I believe that would be two years later, right? Um, hold on, two or at, three years later. Uh, I think it's like three. Yeah, I think it's three. Okay, about three, five years later. Ten years later. A decade later. This just happened. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a couple years later. It was like the... It happens in the future. I want to say like 96, 97 or something. 97, I think. But... <laughs> Okay, a few years later, in Spain, a a 15-year-old boy claiming to be Nicholas Barclay appears. And within a couple of days, uh, Nicholas's sister goes down to Spain. They have a Tier 4 reunion. They bring him back to the United States, and they welcome him to the family with open arms. He goes back to school. Everything seems to be going fine. It's a girlfriend. And he lives with the family for about, Yeah, like, he meets a nice girl. He blushes whenever they talk about it. Yeah, he lives with the family for, what, like a year or so? About a year. Yeah. There's only one problem. <laughs> <laughs> there is a wrinkle in this. Nicholas, the man. Okay. The boy... <laughs> There's no way to say it with a straight face. There's no MB has no idea what we're talking about. How to react to it? No, I, actually, what's funny is that I think I know where this is going. Nicholas Barclay is in fact a 23 year old French con man by the name of Frederick Bourdain. <laughs> Okay, I stand corrected. That was not where I saw it going. I just want to say a dark, a dark-skinned Frenchman. A dark-skinned French, twenty-three, going on twenty-four-year-old Frenchman with five o'clock shadow, with a black five o'clock shadow and dark black hair and brown eyes. By the way, Nicholas Barclay was. Yeah, is impersonating is a fifteen-year-old Texas boy. With blonde with hair. blonde hair and, and blue eyes. <laughs> and as white as white can be. <laughs> and has tattoos that, Bar- that Bourdain does not have. The only th- visual similarity between the two people is that they both have a slight gap in their teeth. Exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I'm gonna actually going to show you a photo of this guy. Show you a photo of the two together. Can you uh, uh, can you find a picture of that of uh, when he was in first thing? Because he dyed his hair. Oh, da, 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 spoilers! Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. All right, I'm going to show you first a photo of Nicholas Barclay, one of his last known photos. <laughs> I think we haven't gotten to the meat of the documentary yet. Wait, this isn't the meat? No, you th- no, this is essentially the log line for the documentary. This is the Yeah, this is the trailer. Yeah. Alright, you see that? Yeah. Oddly enough, he looks a little bit about kinda like our friend Ed. <laughs> oh Jesus. Are you Ed saying is- Ed is in fact Nicholas Barclay? 
kind of like our friend Ed, but also kind of like another friend of ours that we used to have named Nick. I was about to say that Nick. Nick does look like, like a, does look like a ten year old boy, so it makes sense. It's like Ed and Nick if they had a love child. Jesus, which is entirely possible. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's Nicholas uh, Nicholas Barclay. The white kid we know. This is Friedrich Bourdain. Oh dear God! <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 oh. what was the picture? Was it him in his disguise or just a normal? No, just, just him in his interview. And for this comparison, looks, go ahead. This dude looks like current day Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> <laughs> and for comparison, here's the two of them together. <laughs> okay. This is like if you would take a picture of, like, young, up-and-coming Elijah Wood and put it next to, like, current-day Mickey Rourke. (laughs) (laughs) And the the fucked-up thing is, is, that interview was from years later, but he looked exactly the same. It is weird. Like, he's just, like, he was slightly girthier back then, but that was pretty much it. This 23-year-old guy, this grown-ass 23-year-old Frenchman, pretended to be a blonde-haired, blue-eyed 15-year-old from Texas. Successfully. For a year. Here's my question. Did he, like... Okay, I obviously I have a lot of questions about this, but... The first that comes to mind, did he have an accent? Yes. He spoke in an... <laughs> In a French accent for the entire year. <laughs> I have to know how this came about. Okay, it's a first. fucking roller coaster ride, MB. Okay, first I'm trying to find a photo of him in his disguise. Where he looks like Heath Ledger. Well, I cannot find this. Okay, I'm going to show you the actor playing him in the recreation just because he looks exactly like him. Well, that's just creepy. <laughs> that's literally the extent of his disguise. He dyed his hair blonde and wore a lot of hats. And, and scarves. And, and gloves. <laughs> and glasses. To hide the fact that he had a different eye color. But, but it's, the, it's, it, it's, the, like he, it's like he was trying to be Eminem. <laughs> the weird thing, but the thing is, with the... Like the the uh, actor playing him in those flashbacks didn't get was how old he looked. <laughs> he looks like, oh my god! Like, like, he looked rough. He had a five o'clock shadow. Yeah, like constantly. But um, all right, let's get into the fucking like once again. That was the log line for the. That was like the teaser trailer. That was the pitch meeting. Like, that is, that's not even... Nine. Okay, here's what he looked like. I finally found it. Get ready, Amber. Right, here's what he looked like in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> As a 15-year-old boy. Tell me he's on, in that picture, tell me he's on, like, an MTV hip-hop reality show. <laughs> he did a lot of interviews. Because... With his French accent. <laughs> That's this amazing. was a big story. He even has, like, you can see, like, the tiny bit of a mustache. 
Oh, he had a constant five o'clock shadow. A black five o'clock shadow. <laughs> okay, so we have to backtrack for a little. Go into the backstory of Frederick Bourdain. Right, not a lot is known about his early life. Just He drifted around France and Spain impersonating people. Especially right, children. Scene, yeah, there's a scene in this movie where they list his aliases, and it's like listing the Joker's aliases. <laughs> One of them he, was Jack White. He was <laughs> wanted by Interpol. <laughs> <laughs> for impersonating uh, dead children throughout his entire life. By the way, his, pic- his uh, picture on Wikipedia is pretty goddamn amazing. By the way, also, the press has nicknamed him, let's not forget, the Chameleon. Like he's a so like he's a fucking Spider-Man villain. So, so essentially, he is a supervillain. Yeah. Like there's no getting around that. Pretty much that. He's like the, a real life supervillain. I was te- texting Mike my live reactions to the movie as I was watching it, just because I couldn't believe anything I was seeing. Oh, right, before we get really into the documentary, this is what I've always been. I'm, here, have you ever read his Wikipedia page? No. See some of his current exploits. All right, this is I, – because I read it right after I watched the movie. Well, maybe we should watch, save this for afterwards. Okay, but this this I'm all, this I'm is the only part I'm going to read because this fascinates me. In June 2005, 2005, Bourdain passed himself off as Francisco Hernandez Fernandez, a 15-year-old Spanish <laughs> orphan. <laughs> so this man has a superhuman ability <laughs> to have people – Believe that he's a small boy, <laughs> despite looking like he's in his late fifties. Uh, all right, let's get into the documentary here. All right. All right, so he bummed his way around France and Spain for years, pretending to be small children. Until one day, he just gets on a payphone and doing an adult's voice says, well, "My wife and I found this fifteen-year-old boy. Can you please come pick him up? I think he's hurt." And then he just let himself get picked up by police. I guess wanting to go to a child's group home. But they begin immediately asking him who is, who is asking him who he is and what his name is. And by the way, and he what, has a whole explanation as how you impersonate uh, a young person. It was fascinating. Yeah, like, like it was I, like listening to the chameleon talk. Yeah, like we can't even describe it. Like, it's scientific how he does this. He says, I, I don't tell them that I'm an abused child. I show them that I'm a, an abused child with my body language. I goes into specifically how he does that. This guy's like Hannibal Lecter. By the way, he's dressed ridiculously. Like, he has a gigantic coat on to hide his girth, a giant scarf on, a hat, a hood. <laughs> a mustache. <laughs> Close. Okay, so they immediately demand to know who he is and who his parents are. So he says, for no particular reason, I'm from America. No, he says, I am from America. (laughs) (laughs) He says that he's a runaway, and the first thing they say is, well, can you tell us who your parents are? He's like, "Uh, I will call my parents. But you have to be out of the room while I do so. Is there a small 
couldn't find a space where I can call my parents and have them pick me up. I just want my phone call. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, so hell, I mean, essentially, he keeps he's essentially run himself into a wall, and he knows it. Like he didn't expect any of this to happen, so he's trying to figure out a way out of it, and he keeps getting himself in too deep. Like it's fascinating, actually, because because he has no plan. No, he has no. Yeah, I'll call my parents. Just leave me alone in a room with with a telephone. So they do that for some reason. He grabs a phone book and just starts calling police precincts in America. Asking about missing children. Yeah, he's pretending to be a policeman at this point. Yes! In Spain, by the way. <laughs> pretending to be a Spanish policeman who's found a missing child. Yes. So he contacts the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And I guess he just picks a random area. Pretty much. And the, Yeah, and then they start listing random missing children, and he just picks one. Just... So they're doing his job for him. Yeah, it's com- it's it's completely random how he ends up with Nicholas Barclay's identity. So they, they, they fax him the, uh, the the photo, which it's a fax, so it's in black and white. Like this was in nineteen ninety like five ninety seven. Yeah, something like that. So he doesn't know that Nicholas Barclay is blonde or, or white wide. or anything. And he doesn't expect anyone to come looking for him. Yeah. So he just says, oh, yeah, that's the kid. I got him right here. And somehow he does – he organizes all of this without the people at the group home knowing. Yeah. That's the part that really confused me. Like, he has mail delivered to him. <laughs> delivered to the fictional Spanish policeman he's impersonating. <laughs> Which I don't know how the fuck that worked. So the next thing you know, he's calling the mother of the missing boy as the Spanish police officer. Like, he doesn't want to do any of this. He just, it just keeps – it's like a comedy of errors. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. There's the, he, just, he just keeps going and going and going, and now he's like, stuck. Like he's going to leave at, immediately after making the first phone call. Like That was just a ruse to get him out of the room with those people and get him – you know, left alone for the night so he could sneak out the back door. But as he's doing that, I think the f- first person he hitches a ride from looks at him and says, Hey, you're Nicholas Barclay. <laughs> then takes him back to the group home. Oh, yeah, I forgot. He he runs. Now, this is I think this is a little bit later. He, he, he does run, like I think like a day later or something. And then he's trying to hitch a ride, and they're in the group home's just, like just frantically looking for him. The one car he, he that pulls up to him is from the group home. He literally says, "God did not want me to leave." <laughs> <laughs> so he's taken back. It's just I, like it's been a while. It's been a while. So you're gonna have to like, like what happens between between and the uh, eventually the well, sister. Well, he called – well, they end up, against his wishes, organizing a phone call between him and his fictional mother. So they call up this woman. He's like, uh, yes, uh, I have your son right here. Uh, he's not talking, but uh, – oh, you want to talk with him? Okay. So he just holds the phone away from himself. And just kind of whispers, like, and hello says, or something. Uh, I love you, Mom. Uh, 
And the lady just starts bawling, like, that's my son. I'd recognize that voice anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, don't worry, we're on our way to come get you. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> By th- at this, then, after this is when he gets the package. Yeah, he has a package delivered to his fictional Spanish policeman identity did in the group. You, did you get a call about a package? <laughs> he picks it up, and it's a full-color photo of Nicholas. And he just... His exact quote is, fuck, 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 fuck. Okay, wait, wait. nothing like this child. Wait, okay, where did this package come from? He had it mailed, I think. and exploiting children. He had it mailed from there. Under the guise, I cannot repeat this enough, under the guise of a Spanish police officer. And nobody in the group home knew he was doing this. So he burns the photo, literally just pick, puts up, pulls out a lighter and burns the photo and throws it down the toilet. I would become this child. And the like sister his, is literally going to be there in like two days. I'm not sure why he burns the photo, if it's like a symbolic thing, or he just doesn't want anybody else to see it and know that he doesn't look like that kid. Because apparently nobody... At that home, had seen a photo, a full color photo of this kid, so they still bought his story. Yeah. While he's there, he gets hair dye smuggled in and dyes his hair blonde. Didn't he use peroxide, or did he actually use hair dye? I can't remember which. But I, I thought the interesting thing was was there was some chick in the group home who did like her own tattoos. Yeah, because Nicholas Barclay, despite being thirteen, was also Texan, so he had tattoos already. So, so we just had them recreate that kid's tattoos on him in 48 hours. Yeah, so they look like they just happened. Like they were red and they were very shabbily done because they were in, in a group home, a child's group home in Spain. <laughs> <A> year old <laughs> Hastily in a back room. By the way, his hair is also kind of long and curly. His hair doesn't even look blonde. It just looks white. Yeah, like it's a terrible dye job. Like, he clearly still has dark roots. And he has the black five o'clock shadow that will not go away. And dark olive skin. Okay, so they bring his sister, who's you know married and like middle-aged at this point. They bring him, they reunite him with his sister at the airport. And she just... No, 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 not at the airport, airport at, at the, the group home. home. Yeah, but it, yeah, that's but right. There's a whole thing. I remember she was like outside of his window looking up like he wouldn't come out of his room for a while. Because he was just staring at her. Like, how the fuck am I going to pull this off? And at this point, I send Mike a text that says, <laughs> how the fuck is he going to pull this off? <laughs> like, I was stopping the movie, like giving it commercial breaks and doing my own Talking Dead discussion. Because <laughs> I'm that fucking riveted at this point. And this is like what? Still like the first half hour of the documentary. <laughs> it's, this is all set up. It is. Oh god. Well, so I they meet. He's down. <clears throat> he comes down. She takes one look at him, and just embraces him. Nicholas, you were worried I wouldn't recognize you. That's her exact quote. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you have your uncle's nose. Like, she keeps pinching his nose, saying, oh, that's that nose I remember. You look at the photos, that kid does not have the same nose as that guy. The only thing is the gap in the teeth. That's, that's all he had to work with. <laughs> and then she starts showing him photos and, like, asking if he remembers people. And this will come back into play later, telling – whenever he doesn't remember, she tells them who that person is. And, gives and the poem still doesn't – the group home still doesn't buy his story at this point. So they set out this fucking Jedi test. <laughs> like they're picking the next Buddha or something. Yeah, and they set out like the family photos she brought. I think set out one that's – that they just fabricated and had them pick which ones were of family members, and he gets it wrong. No, no, he gets he he guesses correctly on all on all but one. Still, he gets it wrong. Yeah, he still gets it wrong because he got the other ones right. They let it go. Yeah, but still, like, that's Uncle Steve. Yeah, I remember him. Just like, how do you get off? How, how do you just point to a stranger and say that's my family member, and they just let it go? By the way, so far the only explanation of where he's been has been his he's been abused. Yeah, he's, he's not talking. abused. He has not explained yet. Because he, he he doesn't really talk very much because of his deep French accent. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so they she decides she's gonna take him back to America. They get on a plane and go the home. Whole entire time. Like they stop at a motel. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And he, he thinks about to, running again. He thinks about running, but he decides not to. And he's at this point, he's literally sleeping in the bed next to her. Yeah, they're sharing a bed. And he leaves thinking about running, but he decides not to. for Because he's always wanted a family. <laughs> and he thinks he can actually blend in with this family, and they'll give him the love he always wanted. At this point, he thinks this may actually work. Because at this point, they go into what he claims is his backstory, and he was uh, born to a French mother from an Algerian father, and his grandfather wanted him aborted as soon as he found out the father was Algerian. So he was born in the wrong identity. Again, this is what he claims. Nobody actually knows. He's like the Riddler. Yeah. He's the Joker. He remembers it a different way every time. There's only one photo of him. As a baby, that may or may not be him. This guy may have been the Red Hood at one time. <laughs> okay. By the so way, they, thinks, when him arriving at the airport with his family, there's homemade video footage of it. Yeah, there's a lot of actual footage in this movie that's incredibly unsettling. Yeah, the, just... Because his sister walks in first... And then, like, half a minute later, he walks up very, very slowly. Because at this point, he's still thinking, the second they all see me, the jig's up. I was able to fool this one lady because she was desperate, and we're in Spain, and she was jet-lagged. But as soon as my fake mother sees me... And he's still dressed like this, by the way. He's still still wearing a hood, sunglasses, giant Doctor Who scarf, and white gloves. (laughs) Like, so he looks like the late, the final days of Michael Jackson. If Michael Jackson was in Antarctica. <laughs> and the footage is fascinating because he just shuffles up. 
and like one person kind of hugs him, and the rest just kind of stand there. Like it's very awkward looking. I remember his mother commented that he that she thought like, oh, this kid's really screwed up now because of like he was so standoffish and dressed like that. Because Friedrich doesn't like to be touched. Oh yeah, that's another thing he doesn't like to be touched to a borderline psychotic level. So she hugs him and he's like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, shockingly, he's psychotic. <laughs> so he's got that going for him. By the way, the Michael Jackson reference will come back into play later. <laughs> and they take him home. They're fucking listening to the Doobie Brothers on the way back home. And they drive him out to their incredibly shitty Texas town. And I can only say that because it's just like the kind of town I grew up in. Yeah, he's, he he mentions waking up the next day. Yeah, the next day out the he window. wakes up and he's horrified that he's in Texas. He thought like he thought he was going to America, so there was going to be big cities and all this. He looks out and they have a view of their yard, and it's just like desert. There's like a wheel from a bike on like a fence. There's just nothing. There's a car on cinder blocks. It's the most stare. It's the most stereotypically redneck town you have ever seen. It's like it was built just for this. Uh, so he's horrified. Yeah. Oh, by the like, way, what have I done? Let's talk about the actual family here for a second. Uh, we won't get without, into too heavily right now, but I just want to mention the actual shots of them being interviewed, particularly the sister's husband, who is wearing a cross. <laughs> And behind him on the wall in the distance... Three crosses. <laughs> of course there are. I think there's a cross behind the sister, too, and the mother, and they're all in the same house, so there's just a cross on every wall. The sister's also wearing the probably the biggest cross, too. I mean, it's Texas, so... Like, and they are the most rednecky family you could possibly imagine. Well, the mother is the most stereotypical redneck-looking mother like, in the world. Like, she looks like her other kid is Honey Boo Boo. Yeah. And the sister looks like she was probably hot at one point, but... That went... That, yeah, that went away. That's about it. Well, the sister is very likable at this point. Yeah, the sister's still likable. The sister's never really that unlikable. Uh, she seems like the decent person of the family, because they go into Nicholas's home life... And you we'll, can we'll, kind of t- yeah. Well, we'll, we'll just, let's let's save that for later because there's some he stuff. Was very, he was very much a redneck latchkey kid. Yeah, and he had tattoos at 13. Yeah, and he would you know run away constantly because that's how he was. Well, they go into at the beginning how he disappeared, which is they just told him to walk home when he was at somebody else's house. Yeah, they wouldn't go get him. <laughs> And this is and when, was, I think, um, his drug-addled addict brother was living at the house. And this is in 1994. Yeah. So, he was walking on a 1994 road. In the middle of nowhere. In, in Texas. Texas. In, like, Deliverance, Texas, too. I think it was night as well, like, dark out. So you can kind of put together where this... What happened to this kid? Or could you? Right, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Now, 
Back to the Frenchman. (laughs) (laughs) At first, this Frenchman is horrified that he's in Texas. The family accepts him. Like, they take him around town. Like, he starts hanging out with the neighborhood kids. He gets a little girlfriend he's sweet on. He goes to... Keep in mind, this is a 23-year-old man flirting with a 15-year-old girl. Yeah. And going to high school in America. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there's an amazing sequence in the reenactment of him getting on the bus as Queen Bitch plays and but, checking out all the hot girls. Where he's still like dressed his like American, that, by the way. It's his American dream moment. Like, he has arrived... He's going to go to American school. <laughs> he even says, I could not believe that me, a 23-year-old <laughs> Frenchman, a 23-year-old homeless Frenchman, was now going to a Texas high school as a 15-year-old blonde American boy. <laughs> okay, and at this point, he's gone into his backstory a little bit. He claims that he was kidnapped in Texas. Oh, wait, no, hold on. There's a bit more of that because there's an FBI agent. Oh, yes, there's an FBI agent who's very suspicious. And she's been – ever since she heard of this back when he was still in Spain, she told the family that he needs to be interviewed right away. Like he should be brought to me and interviewed right away. She's the agent Coulson of this whole affair. But interestingly enough, the family never – she really is. The family never – Contacts her or brings him in. So she kind of has to strong arm herself to get him interviewed. And that's when she sits down and has the talk to him to ask what happened. And that and this is the story he comes up with. He so tells really her. off the top of his head. He was kidnapped and thrown into a bus in Texas, shipped over to Spain, where he became part of a child sex trafficking, torture, scientific experimentation project. <laughs> uh, by various military groups from all over the world. Yeah, he was like saying like the government was in on this. There were rogue military splinter cells that condoned it. There were generals that molested him. Like he told a like he did the plot of Taken. They made him speak in a different accent to change yeah, they beat um, him whenever he spoke English, and that's why he speaks perfect French and has an accent. Because um, they beat the Texas accent out of him. They put a chemical and into his eyes to change his eye color. <laughs> I, he was remade as a Frenchman. <laughs> like it, the And the deep fucked-upness of the story he comes up with. The fact that it comes out of his mind so easily is weird. And it's so horrifying that it completely convinces the FBI agent because she doesn't believe that somebody could make it up. Yeah, it's just like, so when, detailed and like when they interview up. her, she is still stunned by it. Like, yeah, why? I never in my wildest dreams would have thought that somebody could imagine something like that. Unless they were very sick, I think is what she actually says. Because <laughs> like they're saying they've stuck needles into his eyes and. He was essentially in Weapon X. Pretty much. Until he was able to escape one night. And, it does sound know, like, like he's, he's essentially an aspiring comic book writer. Because this sounds like a backstory for something that is completely fictitious. He, 
This is his a, escape. His alleged escape is literally he, he got out of a cell one day and ran down a hallway and busted through the doors and ran out into a storm. He discovered he read razor sharp claws. Like it plays out exactly like Wolverine escaping from Weapon X. It does. I had that mental image the entire time. I'm also thinking this is like supreme power. <laughs> so he keeps out the part where he was gifted with superpowers. Which, <laughs> oddly enough, the FBI agent would have believed. <laughs> well, he is a chameleon. <laughs> he chameleon. has the powers of persuasion. He has the belt. He's like at this point, he's more like Black Cat to me, where it's like he has probability militia. <laughs> <laughs> he's Domino. <laughs> all right, I'm going to get into later the only two explanations for how this all happened, and both are equally disturbing. Yeah, but I'll forget for, save that for the end. Yeah, we still got a while. <laughs> We're only halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> this, Emmy, this is still the first ten minutes. This is the trailer. But um, so she believes this story because it's so outlandish. And this, at this point, he feels like this is it. He's he's completely scot free at this point. He's fooled the FBI. <laughs> he's a wanted Interpol fugitive who has been face to face with an FBI agent and fooled her. By the way, the awesome thing is in the documentary, you still we still don't know his name or anything. He's only alluded to his backstory. We still don't know his name. We still don't know he's wanted by Interpol. Interpol, none of this. That doesn't come until later. Yeah. <laughs> After he's won, like, then it's just smooth sailing for him. He integrates with the family. They bond. Like It becomes one of those lifetime movies. Until? Until. A new uh, news agency... Uh, no, it's like uh, Inside Edition. Yeah, it was Inside. I was going to say hard copy, but it's Inside Edition. Um, wants to do, heard about this kid and wants to do a story about him. Because this was all over the news. Yeah. Like so, by the way, he had the FBI searching for these people who abducted him. Yeah, for for this entire time they were for a going year. For a year, the FBI thought that there was a rogue military splinter cell. In Spain, that was experimenting and abusing American children. Because <laughs> he was saying there were other kids there that they had to go rescue. This evil could not continue. He so was a crusader. It's like he sets himself up for failure, and then he gets off scot-free. But it's genius because he tells the biggest lie he can imagine. And no. that's what gets him through. Exactly, because it's it's so big, it has explanations to why he's different. And it's, it has repercussions, which most lies are designed to not have. Like, he puts things into play. And the fact that it involves the government makes it seem like it's, it will be impossible to uncover. <laughs> like it's He might really accidentally uncover some stuff. Like, he'll do good. Exactly. It's, it's possible he'll end up being Batman. You don't know. So Which becomes this, interesting soon. The Inside Edition hires this southern... I, I got, was, it, was his name Charlie Parker or something? I think his name it's, is... It's on. Matt Johnson. Yeah, Charlie Parker. Yeah. Who is Matlock. Yeah, he's Matlock. He's, he, like he is had, the most stereotypical southern private eye. All, when they oh first, my god. It's, it's Cowboy Brob's brother. I thought the same. I thought thing. Of, I thought of Cowboy Bob too. Listen to Blow the Bible, but only on iTunes. Um, 
But when they first showed him in the interview, I thought that was part of the recreation because he was so over the top. Like he has red suspenders. He's sweating in every scene. It's amazing. It's he's powerful driving. hot in that car. And is he driving around like a Lincoln? He is. It's amazing. I want a movie about this guy. I know. The only smart guy in this thing. So so he finds uh, Nicholas and Inside Edition comes to the house to interview him and Charlie Parker is there and he's in another room watching playback of the interview. It's amazing how this comes how this goes down. It's this is incredible. And they and by the way, in the documentary they have the Inside Edition actual interview. Like they cut back and forth between that and the recreation. It's fascinating. To see this clearly twenty four year old or something French guy with five o'clock shadow pretend to be a fifteen year old and just and he's talking about it all- I think he's watching in the other room on closed circuit TV. Yeah. And directly beside the TV is a photograph of Nicholas. The real and Nicholas. He's, and he's looking he's looking at Friedrich, looking at Nicholas, looking at Friedrich, looking at Nicholas. Like the fucking theme from the usual suspect starts playing and he puts <laughs> two and two together. He's like, This how the fuck are these two the people the same? And then Just he imagine- goes into I'm just imagining that scene in Skyfall where Bond and Q are suddenly realizing what's happening. <laughs> like, it's that kind of moment. And he wants... And what was his explanation for the ear thing? Because he heard... He says he heard that's how Scotland Yard <laughs> caught somebody. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like, like, But it was an American crime, so I don't know where he got Scotland Yard from. Yeah, I think... Fuck, who was it? I think he said Son of Sam. I don't think it was that. It was it was somebody big though, but I don't remember what. By uh, because the ears don't change. Everybody has a a very specific ear, so he wanted a picture of their ears. And I remember him specifically saying, "I took it into Adobe Photoshop. I took it home to the Adobe Photoshop. Tell <laughs> me, that's just wasn't the same." And he, like, it's a dramatic reveal when they show both ears and they're different. Yeah, and it's like, as if this was a DNA test, too. Like, that's how to be, big this was. To be fair, those ears are as different as two ears could possibly be. Oh, yeah, they're completely... It was well, just I mean, like everything... Most of his features are as different as <laughs> they could possibly be. So at this point, he's like, the, completely different. And he tells, he calls the FBI. <laughs> and talks to this, this FBI agent woman, a Nancy something, I think. Nancy Fisher. Nancy Fisher. And tells her this. And she's like, oh my god. Like, the ear thing completely convinces her. <laughs> like, that's the part I, that completely, like, puts it over the top. I'm, I'm really not surprised, given this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... She oh, I'm looking bring- at the, the pictures of them side by side. Did anyone think about the jawline? Did anybody think of anything in this situation? <laughs> Such incompetence. <laughs> but okay, so she ta- brings him in for a second interview. Like, uh, I remember he had to get on a plane and, like, I think go out to DC. Yeah, they're going to see, but it was for something else, if I remember correctly, wasn't it? Or we know they were getting out to DC on like, on like a lie or something. They wanted to hear a story again. Yeah. Like, there was some other reason they were having to come out to D.C., so it was him and the sister again. 
Yeah, and they had it. No, his sister, I think, was still at home because they no. organized it so that he, his sister didn't have to travel with them because they felt that he might be a danger. And they have him speak to a psychologist who says, okay, this kid's story is bullshit. Yeah, in many ways. Like, he can't just de- develop an accent like that. And- like, that was scientific. Like, it's impossible for a child raised in an English-speaking home to later develop an accent. And the fucked up thing is, so you're looking at, like, do they really need all this when he's 24 <laughs> and French with dark skin and clearly dyed hair that he has to continuously dye blonde? <laughs> And I'm talking like he looks like fucking James Morrister's as Spike. That's how fucking white this hair is. Okay, so they, the psychiatrist tells Agent Fisher that this is absolute bullshit. So Agent so Fisher she, calls the sister. And says, this person is an imposter. Name drop. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible that she says that and then they do the dun dun dun. And the sister is horrified, like, oh my god, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Like, she takes very little convincing, it seems. And the FBI and the lady is flying back. And says, do not show up at the airport. He will not step foot in your home again. We'll find some way up, up around this. So she escorts him back to the airport. And his sister is waiting for him. And she's smiling and waving to both of them. And she gives him a big hug. And she talks and- to... Like, yeah, she talks to, yeah, she talks to Agent Fisher like they never had that conversation. And they cut back to the interview with her, and she says, well, I have no memory of her ever telling me that. I don't know what she's talking about. This is when stuff gets really weird. Just All in right. case it wasn't weird enough already, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm just going to go directly scene by scene how the movie does it, because this is an amazing series of events. Yeah, I mean, some of the stories, and by the way, the family is full of this, like, I don't remember this happening like that, and full, full of they stuff. They are it tearfully gets, adamant about certain things. It gets really interesting. But, oh, we did skip over one thing, from because <laughs> it's very important, he tells this earlier in the movie, that it won't, he only very briefly met Nicholas's brother. Yes, who just looks at him and eyes him and says, good luck, and walks away. So he knows that it's he's very heavily implied. He's made him. They just have this tense standoff. And then we should say, I think at this point when he gets found out, the brother dies from an overdose, right? Yes, I think a few months afterwards. Yeah, so the brother's now dead. All right, now we get back to she pretend like the conversation never happened, et cetera, et cetera. And takes takes Agent Fisher. And Agent Fisher says, at this point, I stopped seeing them as a grieving family and started to see them as a family with something to hide. At this point, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, and, shit and just Parker, got real. And Parker it feels the same way, too. He's still investigating. <laughs> still sweating. <laughs> like, like, he goes fucking gumshoe on this. It's amazing. Yeah. He starts looking at microfiche. There's literally a scene of him looking at microfiche. Swear to God. He's looking at police records where... I'm still picturing Cowboy Bob. Oh, he looks like the cowboy hat. He looks like Cowboy Bob in my head, too, which is weird. They're looking up police records about Nicholas Barclay. And he interviews, like, childhood friends, and they said, like, that kid had a very unhappy childhood. He wasn't really wanted in the family. 
And whenever his drug addict brother came in, things became very hostile. And he starts looking at microfiche of old police records, and they say, well, they tried to get the kid arrested for assault for trying to break into his own house. At one point, they kicked the 13-year-old out, Yeah, and he tried to get back in, and they tried to have him arrested for assault. There's also the interesting thing about the brothers said after Nicholas disappeared that Nicholas tried to break into his house. I don't know if it was after the disappearance. It was after the disappearance. Like he thought he broke into he thought he broke into his garage. Like there are all these weird police reports, and that's when Barker says the words that fucking just chilled my soul. Like these are the things you do whenever you're trying to cover up a murder. Oh, and that's God. whenever I text Mike. What the fuck? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh. that was about my reaction. That would be, it's not quite going where you're thinking. Like, this thing's all over the place. I'm not sure I kn- even I know where it's going. Like there, I'm just going to say now, there's no definitive answers here. <laughs> Do not expect any. It's like Twin Peaks. There are only more mysteries. So now they're trying to they're, – they're essentially trying to get him – like, they're trying to get him at this point. And at this point, Friedrich is concerned because Friedrich has figured out <laughs> – Friedrich now thinks, holy shit, the family killed this kid. (laughs) Because then it goes back, and suddenly all these little things they mentioned earlier in the movie make sense. Like, he goes back to his sister. Like, every time I said I didn't recognize somebody in the photo, she said, no, no, that's your Uncle Frank. She would be, she started, she coached him. She coached him how to be Nicholas. He started to realize. Oh, God. And, like, it's fucked up because you really like the sister at this point. Yeah, at one point, she does say, how stupid could I have been? It's Uh, it's all very strange because you never know, like, okay, if this did happen, who's in on it? The mother's always very suspicious. Like, there was that point, like, when she – they were trying to convince her or something, and she just, like, fell to the ground and was just screaming. They tried to bring her in for a DNA test. Oh, yeah, and she just Is refused. this one when the FBI became involved? Yeah, they yeah, were they, trying to do a DNA She refused to have her DNA tested for any reason. And again, at this point, Friedrich's like, what the fuck have I gotten into? By the way, she denies ever having like thrown a tantrum or anything and ran out of the room. He also claims later that the mother just flat out told him that she killed him. Yeah, he does claim that later. Uh, but we should say everything Frederick says it may be a lie. Yeah. Um, that's what's so fascinating. <laughs> but now, at, they, at this part of the movie, you, you're you briefly on his side. Yeah. Because you think he's going to fucking find out that it's a murder and he's going to blow this thing wide open and end up being the hero. He's going to be Batman. Because it's that kind of movie at this point. And like an investigation starts and eventually – they, they do get his DNA. Yeah, they get his DNA, and they even From a glass or something, right? I think so. And Parker has a face-to-face meeting with Friedrich in a diner. It's like something out of a movie. Oh yeah, and this is the awesome part of the fucking documentary. They're editing these two things together. Where it's at the same time. Yeah, the, it's they've a, got his DNA, and they're running a background check on him through Interpol. Yeah, so they're waiting for this. Facts with 
with his identity come through as Parker and Frederick are in the diner and Frederick flat out admits who he is. Like, because like the game is up at this yeah, point. Parker just calls him on it. Like, we, everyone knows it's not, you're not him. Like, they have, like, the most movie exchange where he's like, hello, Nicholas. And he just pulls off his hood and is like, we both know that my name is not Nicholas Barclay. <laughs> and by the way, at this point, Charlie Parker thinks that he's a spy. Oh, yeah, he also thinks he's a spy. <laughs> so at this entire time, he's because operating on. Because. He's saving America somehow. <laughs> Because this entire time he's operating under the impression that he's a foreign spy and he's going to blow up a nuclear reactor at any point, and that's why he's so adamant to solve this. He does fly out, say, nuclear reactor at some point, if I, if I think I remember correctly. And the fucked up thing is you can't fault him, because why else would somebody do this? It is so strange that there's no other explanation is that he's a spy about to destroy America. <laughs> Or he's from space or something. Like, there's something else going on here. There has to be, like... He's the piano man from that story years ago. <laughs> he's Rand... He's, he's Randall Flagg. He's from K-Pax. <laughs> um, okay. Go on. So, so they have this incredibly tense conversation where they're eating hotcakes. Bruce Willis is there. He's, he's making a very... Uh, Convenient, convenient explanation for why tr- they shouldn't think about time travel. <laughs> it's that kind of scene. It really is. And Friedrich just starts telling him, you know, of course, that I am wanted by Interpol. <laughs> and Charlie and Parker's like, holy shit, he is a spy. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, in the FBI, they're getting the facts with his picture and the fact and his real name. Friedrich Bourdain. And they see his photo, and it's him. And he has this Interpol record a fucking mile long. And he has, like, a hundred fucking aliases. And he's been doing this, apparently, his entire life. So it is that, at this point, that they have a warrant to come in and arrest him. And they come in and arrest him, and they show his perp walk. And again, he's clearly a grown man. <laughs> the outfit finally matches, because he's doing a perp walk. And he gives a double thumbs up to the screen with a big smile on his face. <laughs> and suddenly all the sympathy you had for him disappears. I am big he's fucking star now. Because he's loving every minute of it. It's at this point you start to realize, okay... He's actually insane. And nobody in this movie is good. There's not a single... The only person who's remotely smart is Charlie Parker. (laughs) (laughs) P.I. He's the only one who looked at him with the shit. He's the only smart one in the entire fucking situation. Even the FBI agent's dumb. By the way, just because I'm going through the credits, I'd like to point out that the mother's name is Beverly Dollarhide. (laughs) <laughs> just gonna leave that there do you see okay so they they take Bourdain in and the first thing he says is I'm not the real killer don't you know these kids these people fucking murdered that kid that's when he claims that the mother made a confession to him which she of course denies and fucking Parker thinks the exact same thing so he's all for it 
and they take the mother in for a lie detector test, and she gets it right the first three times, but it's Agent Fisher doing it, and she has a score to settle. So she keeps giving her the lie detector test until she fails, and the fourth time she fails completely. I think they literally say the machine almost exploded. <laughs> well, of course, because and they do, and then she and Fisher's saying it so dramatically, but it's like when you're watching, it's like you made her do it four times. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and her explanation is, well, uh, I lied about stealing that one time, so 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 so. So, so you know that that that's why I failed at that time. Yeah, like the mother is the worst liar you've ever seen. Yeah, it's like no one's gonna believe the lie detector test because of the way it was done, but well, just her reaction. Like lie detector tests in general are bullshit. Yeah, well they're admissible I mean, in court. So I mean they're easy to pass if you're but, guilty and easy to fail if you're innocent. Yeah, but it's also not like she's an expert who can fake a lie detector test. But. The way she tried to explain why she failed immediately makes you look guilty again. I mean, and again, they cut to the sister who you've liked the entire time up until this point, who's like, "Well, well, 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 I, 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 I he's just lying." And it should be interesting to note that the sister's husband never really has a lot to say, but never really seems to give a shit about anything. No, including any memories of Nicholas at all. Like, it's entirely possible that he's the one who actually killed them. Like, they talk about the brother. Like, that's the big linchpin for the whole murder investigation, is that he made uh, Borden very early on, but had no desire to tell anybody. Yeah. And they conf- I think they confirmed this later with other people, that he immediately figured him out. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't really remember. I remember the lie detector thing, and then... They were discussing his brother a lot. I don't remember if they ever confirmed whether or not he made him. But it's heavily – it is at least heavily implied that the brother knew. And Borden did pretty much figure that the brother knew the entire time. And that, was the, they, and that was the first thing that weirded him out was the fact that the brother knows. Why isn't he saying anything? Well, I think he – they get a quote from him that's where he literally said, well – that's not that's not my brother, but let them believe, or something yeah. of that effect. Yeah, I, I, I think I remember that. Like, that's this, extremely suspicious. This is it, fascinating. It's, it's a fucking roller coaster. But, okay, so at this point, by the way, Charlie Parker thinks he knows where the kid is buried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the logic of this was. None. He just sees he just sees a house by where he was apparently where he was allegedly abducted and asks if he can dig up this guy's backyard. No, it was the, it was the house they were living at, at the time when, uh-huh. he, when he disappeared. No, he just goes over to that guy's house with a fucking shovel, and they both start digging up a spot under a, a tree in the backyard, which he's just assuming is where it was. They don't find anything, of course. By the way, the, the yard's not that big. They could just dig up the whole thing. I mean, but at this point, like, and again, the second Bordeen is put in prison, they give him a phone in his cell for no particular reason, and he just starts calling up the parents of missing children and giving them false leads because he's fucking evil. 
and pretending to be other missing children from prison. Like in the first 48 hours, he's locked up. Like that's his first instinct. This guy is the Joker. He's just he's just insane. Like he has a very specific kind of psychosis. And there's footage of him doing a Michael Jackson moonwalk in prison. No, uh, okay. This is how the, this is the last time you really see him in the documentary. We're gonna skip ahead a bit just for this part, where he's in prison. Like it's this kind of like uh, handheld footage of him in prison, like security footage almost of him in like this prison. It looks like a gymnasium or something. Like I'm not really sure. It's like this big room, and I think um, fuck, what song was playing? Ah, uh, I don't remember. It might have been bad. I don't remember. And he's just doing a Michael Jackson impersonation. Like, he's just moonwalking and grabbing his crotch and just dancing like Michael Jackson to a Michael Jackson song. Throughout the movie, he keeps wearing increasingly evil hats. (laughs) He does. Like, by the time you get... Like, there's photos of him wearing these weird, like, drifter hats. He looks like the bad guy in a western. By the time he's interviewed on Inside Edition, he's just wearing a pimp hat. Yeah. Because he's the fucking Riddler. But the Michael Jackson thing, fucking, I'm obsessed with. It was just so weird. It was just like, he he just just is the Joker. Like, he's just in there dancing to a Michael Jackson song in prison like nothing's happening. Uh, Here, did you notice this? This is a part I found interesting. The sister's talking about and refers to him by his first name, Frederick. Like... But, like, they're, they really know each other. Like, she knows him as Frederick. Yeah, that's... Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? It's like... Yeah. You know, Frederick just tells all these lies. Like, it's just so... Why would you call him Frederick? Why are, you on, why are you on a first-name basis with him? That's odd. It kind of brings credence to the theory that they were coaching him. Because that's like the, like I said, there are only two possible explanations. One, like that child was murdered, and then out of the blue, a stranger calls them up, claiming to be him. And just as their cover story, they just they just adopt him, and they figure they can't deny it, or else it's suspicious. Because that's one thing she says. Well, if we killed our brother, why would we concoct all of this? Well, it kind of sounds like they just did what they had to do. Especially like, with the very that. weird behavior that when the sister first arrives. So there's that. Or everybody is just a retarded, incompetent moron. From the South. Which, like from the which bottom up, fair. including the FBI. Yeah. Like, I think that is like, a little bit of both. To be fair, it's like that's very possible, though. Yeah, that's the thing. Both every every explanation is possible with the way it's presented. Like, with, you're given all the information, and every single way is entirely possible. It's like it's possible the kid wasn't even murdered. It's like they're all just completely retarded. Now, you can tell no, I- that kid wasn't loved in that family, though. No, I'm, I mean, some, something definitely happened. Yeah, I'm leaning towards murder, but at the same and, time, it's like... 
And, of course, a lot of stuff Fisher says, like Hero said, had kind of a vendetta at, at some point. So it's hard to take her opinion too seriously. Parker, on the other hand. Charlie Parker, P.I. Well, it seems like the FBI agent is just a caricature within herself. A bit, yeah. You kind of start to wonder how the hell she got her job. Or how she kept it. Like, did she get fired afterwards? At least no. not what she did. She's still, no, she's still in the FBI. Well, no, oh. she she was, it said former FBI, like, till 2007, I think. Yeah. She retired gracefully. <laughs> but, like, you just, like I told, like, at the end, I don't know what to think. And you don't know. Like, and you don't even realize, you don't even think about the murder thing until it's brought up. And suddenly it makes perfect sense. Because they drop, they put the information in the beginning of the documentary without telling you the murder thing. So that way you can uncover it yourself. Yeah. It's so little, goddamn well little, made. Little hints like the fact that he had tattoos. And yeah. the way they talk about him, like, just, like, he wasn't some innocent little kid. Yeah. I, I mean, think, I, I mean, it's so, first, such a strange portion. Yeah, at, at the beginning, they're talking about he, how, he, how he looks like an angel and all these things, and then suddenly they start like you know he he wasn't and ran away. He was a troublemaker and he was a bad kid. Yeah, it's all very strange the way it comes together, and the mother never really seems to anything straight. And I mean. No one knows if the interaction where the brother said good luck is true, but it's most likely a fascinating, like, cherry on top. And the fucked up thing is they claim that that they're the only ones who ever care that he was missing, yet they really don't seem to care. No, like I said, the husband of the sister, I thought, had the most interesting behavior. Because he talks about how, yeah, we rode around for a while. I introduced him to some girls. Oh, uh, yeah, he was all right. We worked on my car together. Yeah, listened to some we music. Li- yeah, we listened to some music. Listened to some gospel music. Went to church. It's like the most <laughs> nonchalant reaction ever. Yeah, like he doesn't nobody have... Acts, nobody acts like they were... Like they took in a 23-year-old Spanish Frenchman... As their son. Like, even when they, like, they're, like, how, like, did they specifically say, like, okay, when you talk about this, just talk about it like it's actually Nicholas, or, or because they were already pretending it was Nicholas that they can talk about it so straightly? I think some of the interviews were uh, played, I believe. Yeah, but it just... It's really weird. This is the fucked up thing. I looked online. I can't find anywhere where they say what portions of the interviews were actors and who were the real people. Well, I mean, I'm, I mean, all the talking head stuff. Not the real. On the, wi- on the Wikipedia page, it says it. You know, he does mix real and played interviews. Charlie Parker was an invention of the movie. <laughs> Charlie Parker is real, though. I refuse to believe anything else. Oh, yeah. And he's still out there fighting the good fight. Oh, that's that's the end of the movie. It's just him and that guy digging up that grave. 
It's a it's a crane shot, so it just pans out. It's really haunting. Also, um, Wardan, yeah, of the course, epilogue is of course out of prison. Immediately, out of prison? Uh, yeah, immediately impersonated a dead fifteen year old boy. Like that was the first thing he did as soon as he got out of prison. He just wants to experience the thrill of going to American school again. And I think they mentioned the thing from 2005 very briefly. I think that might have been the last time. He has since gotten married. And has two kids. Yeah. He impersonates them. And is is very happy. Yeah, and says that he is done impersonating people. For now. He's not actually Friedrich Bourdain. And by the way, the his last lines in the movie are "fuck everybody." I don't care about anybody's feelings but myself. <laughs> like he just gets really angry for no reason. <laughs> yeah, he just it, like how his attitude fluctuates there at the end, where it's just like he just does the interview just evil. At the beginning of the movie, he sounds so sorry about everything and how his his arm was twisted at every turn, and he could take it if he could take it back, he would. Then the end, he's just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> As you just realize, he's a sociopath. Who may or may not have uncovered a murder plot. And did nothing about it. And the only good person in this story is Charlie Parker, P.I. <laughs> Brother of Cowboy Bob Clark. <laughs> Best and that damn was- P.I. in the world. And that was the imposter, maybe. Holy crap. You know, we could have just watched it. <laughs> we should we should do, definitely do commentary for the imposter. Because this recording is at an hour and 26 minutes. The movie is an hour and 38 minutes. Well, there you go. So basically, we just did commentary for the movie. We just put, paste this over the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we leave anything out? Ah, that's all I can remember. Is there anything to leave out? I don't know. It's so fucked up. Like, there's so much weird stuff with the latter part with the family and the murder investigation. Just so bizarre. Like, Uh, I got, I got to admit that creeped me out. Like that fucking turned my blood to ice whenever they got to that part. Because I mean, just like the idea of willing, like knowing this guy's. Like, he thinks they're, he's getting something over on them, but then it's like they're getting something over on him by pretending to to think it's Nicholas, but and being okay with this possibly insane stranger living in their house. The cover-up a murder of a child. I, and again, it's like, a, if you did this as a movie, like people would say it was ridiculous. Like, this is a Lifetime movie. There's, like you said, there's many Lifetime movie twists. This could, like, I could easily see this being, like, a David Fincher film. Nobody would believe it. It's just the cavalcade of stupid. (laughs) Stupid and or willfully ignorant. Yeah, it just... and, And, like I said, you're never sure, in regards to the family, who's in on it. Like, is the sister in on it? Because like, you really want her to not be, but she's the most suspicious one. I thought the mother was the most suspicious one. 
I thought the sister kind of towed the line, except for the pretending that the conversation never happened. But she's also the only one who admits stupidity for thinking that it was Nicholas. It seems to me like, from what all you've told me, it's like, it seems like the mother was fully in on it, but at the same time, I don't think she was directly involved. Like, I think she knew about it. I don't think she actually, like, went out of her way to, like, plan any of this. Like, it just comes across like she's playing ignorant to me. It it does seem like... Where it's like, this was orchestrated by one of the others. Like, the actual murder itself. It does seem, as far as the home life goes, the problems were the brother and the mother. Yeah. So it feels like if something happened, maybe they, they didn't, like, go out of their way to kill Nicholas... But that Nicholas may have accidentally been killed. Just due to neglect. Uh, and that they they covered it up. And again, you what you look you think back on the footage of him arriving at the airport and they're all just like, Oh, hey, Nicholas is back. Where you been, Nicholas? Hug. Yeah, that does that definitely puts it all in perspective. Like, just the I'm fact that they were all standing around. I'm gonna have to watch it again. I gotta, I gotta. I mean, even knowing what happens, I, I want to watch it. Really That's bad. A fascinatingly, it's an amazingly well-made documentary. Like, you forget that you're watching a documentary and just think you're watching it's a movie halfway through. Probably the best documentary I've ever watched. Like as far as just craftsmanship goes. Like, like the way the way they blend in uh, Borden's <laughs> confession with the reenactment. It's edited so well. Like, it's just to the point where he's talking to the camera like Ferris Bueller as he's doing all this. And until the end, I thought the guy playing him in the reenactment was just him. So did I. That was I'm amazing. Looking, I'm looking at the picture of the guy that played him in the reenactments. He looks incredibly like him. Yeah, they did it's a really disturbing. good job. And they did. They did a cool, cool thing where they would just like they'd have Morden talking in the interview, but then just have the. Um, the reenactor just lip syncing to it. Because Borden I mean, he's talking talk- remembers everything that he said. <laughs> then he puts anytime he's on the phone, they put a phone filter over his voice as they're interviewing him. Like it's fascinating. And you hear the nine the um, Spanish nine one one call just- with him pretending to be an American tourist or something. And like asking like, so how long till the police are here? Like ten minutes, okay. Just so he knows how much time he has to prepare. And he's like looking at his watch the entire time. He's like, he's laying down in a phone booth in the rain in Spain. There's there's a part, there's a point in the movie where they literally rewind the movie so you can watch a certain part again, knowing what you now know. I know it's it's so fascinating. I don't even know where to start. I, I know it's just like. And like I said, there's no, like, it can go either way. And what's funny is that this this is like, this is two documentaries in a weird way. It is. It is. It's like, it would be one thing for it to just be about the whole, you know, impersonating a 15-year-old kid. Like, that's one part. But it's like, you almost set that up for a part two when you mention, oh, and by the way, the family could be a bunch of murderers. 
Like it becomes one of those weird horror movies. And it's it, like... It kind of does play like, out like a horror movie. Like, it's, are they stupid? Or are they suspicious? Or are they only suspicious because they're stupid? That's the amazing thing when you're watching it. You just keep thinking, like, how is he getting away with this? How can they be that stupid? Then you get to that point and you're like, oh, they. it's possible that they see what a ridiculous, you know, what a bad, bad lie this is, but they're just covering it up. And it plays into how un, how he was just, he couldn't believe that they were buying it. Until a certain point where he literally says, you didn't have to be Columbo to figure this out. They killed this kid. <laughs> I forgot about that. Because <laughs> it's so, that fucking obvious at that point. And he, he pretty much he pretty much calls out like that he has a bad disguise. Like it's ridiculous that they don't know. It's like he was almost setting himself up for failure. And it kept going. Much to his dismay. And I just like to once again point out he found this family at random. <laughs> this was the most amazing part of it. Because, like, it could have been any family. It could have like, been anyone in Texas. Like, didn't he just have a bunch of pictures faxed to him? Granted, and, just, <laughs> and he just granted, picked the one he thought he looked kind of like? Granted, since it's Texas, I guess it would have ended up the exact same way anyway. I mean, it's like if fucking the Joker's car broke down, and then the family from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came to fix it. <laughs> I mean, you think, if like, if he picked any of those other pictures, none of this would have happened. Like, they would have found him out, like, immediately. But he found the one family with something to hide. Or just that fucking dumb. Both of them are equally possible. It's so weird. I'm so glad we got to talk about the imposter. I couldn't sleep that night. I know. My God. <laughs> We've broken MB <laughs> with our possibilities. MB, MB cannot like form a thought right now about this. I mean, first we broke MB with that scenario of forcing Adam West to kill. Then we fucking laid this on him. All because he said documentaries before I did. And MB, <laughs> fuck you. We only care about ourselves. We don't care about anybody's feelings. That's right, MB. I'm not actually Mike Napier. I've never been hero. We are both actually Frederick Borden. And we're let's just... Face... Okay, gentlemen, let's face it. You both know that I'm not MB. We're all just aspects of Friedrich Bourdain, <laughs> and we're biding our time with this podcast until Matt Johnson finds us out. <laughs> we're like Brainiacs splitting into three. <laughs> by, t by 2018, 40% of the world's population will be Friedrich Bourdain. Essentially, he, essentially he's the techno-virus. <laughs> Remember, get yourselves tested for Bourdain syndrome. If side, you effects include, side effects include a dark brown five o'clock shadow, brown eyes, 
and a large gap in your teeth. It's too and late. the compulsion to impersonate 15-year-olds. And dance to Michael Jackson music. Keep watching the skies. <laughs> <laughs> Keep watching the skies. <laughs> oh. So, that's been this episode of Bald Nightmare. I've been Frederick Bourdain. I've been Frederick Bourdain. And I have been Frederick Bourdain. Have pleasant nightmares. Listen next week to another tale of the strange and terrifying. <laughs>